0: Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics. Appreciate your patience. I know we're a couple minutes behind on our live feed, but thank you for uh, tuning in. And I I promise to make it worth your while because as you can see here, I am joined by Greg Crow of Silver One Resources, uh, who many of you, uh, or maybe some of the long time from the beginning viewers have seen because we met Greg... Geez, that was last January, Greg. At the it Rick- was January
1: twenty twenty, pre COVID. That's right, when we last met. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, certainly the world has changed a bit, but you've been keeping busy, uh, doing a lot on behalf of Silver One. And along those lines, since we have a lot of issues going on in the silver market, certainly some supply and demand numbers that I'm a little baffled to <laughs> calculate myself as Lee at least as I I am told by the banks. And Greg, you're one of the people that is going to be counted on to bring silver to the market going forward. Um, That's in addition to the context of the money printing. We have now the Biden New Green Deal. They're down here giving out tax rebates for solar panels. I'm getting videos popping up on, on YouTube, the commercials, and they're saying, get your solar panels for free and you'll never pay electricity again. There's some printing money to get people solar panels with silver. So Greg, I think they're going to be calling you sooner or later and I appreciate you digging in. So first of all, how's everything going and uh, how are you today?
1: I'm doing just fine here and a bit of a cloudy day here in uh, Vancouver where I'm hanging out and uh, but uh, spring has sprung and the uh, blossoms are blooming and um, I think uh, it bodes well for the upcoming uh, silver market as well
0: because I think we're in the springtime. Yeah, there is something nice about when those seasons change and I see some parallels. I don't know when the season of the dollar will more overtly change. I think things are changing now. I'm getting reports out of Australia that the men's there are having a lot of discrepancies, we will yep. say. You know, we've covered the issues and I know you've spoken about a lot of these, so uh, perhaps I'll let you take it away and And address perhaps to start with the question in our title that I heard you talk about recently of whether you think we will see $50 silver in 2021 and then we'll dig into what you're seeing on the supply side.
1: Well, sure, Chris. Um, I don't usually give a price projection because um, uh, you're inevitably wrong. It could go to 49. It could go to 51. It could go to 35. But um, let's just uh, put it this way. I think the uh, time is right for silver. Um, You've mentioned a couple of things. Uh, uh, Supply demand. Um, It's been in deficit uh, for uh, uh, the last uh, five, six years, essentially, with respect to supply demand is projected to increase. You talked about Biden and the green uh, programs coming up and the solar panels. Let's not discount, um, you know, another uh, very key component of growth in silver. And we're talking electric vehicles, and electric vehicles are certainly taking off. I think Mr. Musk would agree with that. he uh, Seems to uh, be doing quite well with his uh, Tesla shares. But um, uh, so, what's the projection essentially for? Or um, uh, you know, silver just in um, uh, silver panels in cars, they're projected to increase by a couple of hundred million ounces in the next uh, couple of years um, over what they're using right now. And um, uh, that essentially is going to put further pressure on the supply of silver. The world's largest supplier of silver is Mexico. Mexico essentially is in decline in terms of production. Uh, Part of that in 2020 was offset by COVID, so there might be a little bit of uh, uptick in 2021. But overall, there's been a steady decline over the last several years. There's very few true silver mines in the world. Silver is generally a byproduct of other commodities, copper, lead, zinc, gold. Um, So to have a pure silver mine is a rare thing and it's hard to find a silver company with pure silver deposits as well. Um, Right now, um, our Candelaria project seems to be a pure silver project, but could there be other commodities further at depth, which we have yet to explore? So um, people are projecting ongoing issues with respect to inflationary pressures coming into the United States uh, post covid with an economic boom uh, they talk about uh, the upticking in the uh, in the uh, Treasury uh, 10-year uh, yield uh, they talk about inflation real versus nominal inflation uh, you know what's the answer um, you know I it's hard to figure out it really is but if you look at uh, the government specifications for inflation which are around around uh, 1 to 1.5% maybe, 1.7%. But what's the real inflation, you know, in terms of what's going on behind the scenes? And if we do come out of COVID and there is an economic boom, where are all those trillions of dollars that have been injected into the economy going to go? Essentially, they're going to go into inflation. And uh, uh, that generally will bode well down the road for gold and silver.
0: Well, that that's what I thought, too. And Greg, I know you rightly so mentioned these are some complex economic variables. I mean, it's a really a wild derivative equation, not for mere mortals to even attempt to tackle, which is why grateful that on this Wednesday morning, we can just go directly to the chief himself. There's Jamie Dimon explaining of uh, JP Morgan that the economic boom fueled by deficit spending and vaccines, this baby could just keep humming until 2023. Um, And just uh, to understand why he's so bullish on the economy's immediate future, a perplexing statement here, uh, Jamie Dimon, CEO of uh, the government's bank. I have little doubt that with excess savings, (laughs) (laughs) excess savings. Greg, hopefully you can explain that part to me. I don't know where those are, but new stimulus savings, huge deficit spending, more QE, a new potential infrastructure bill, a successful vaccine, and don't leave out euphoria, (laughs) euphoria around the end of the pandemic that this boom could run into 2023. Is there anything Aside from the fact, political thoughts on this aside, is there anything in that paragraph that does not almost force silver higher? Well, uh, you mentioned something about
1: excess savings. Um, I'm not sure about, uh, I don't know the stats in the United States, but uh, here in Canada. They're not good. No, no, no. Here in Canada, what's happened is with COVID, people have hunkered down. They're not buying, they're not consuming as much. And uh, apparently savings are going up at a record rate. So suddenly you get back into an economy where the kids want to go to the mall. Um, uh, You know, the parents need a new uh, electric vehicle. Um, They got to go on their ski holiday. They got to hop on a plane and go somewhere. They're going to start spending those savings. okay? and uh, so that's really happened here, at least in Canada as well. Everything else I think that Jamie Dimon says is true. The only thing that may not necessarily be true is the 2023 figure i think it's more like 2025 2026 there's going to be an ongoing euphoria and boom you suppress people for a year or a year and a half by the time covid is really over um maybe even two years by the time it's completely over and uh they're going to start partying and uh yes that'll be good but uh, that's going to put inflationary pressures and that'll be good for silver and gold plus as you mentioned the uh new uh green revolution will be very good for silver. And that's worldwide. That's not just in the United States, but certainly the world's biggest economy will have a big, important component to play in the price of silver.
0: Yeah, and... Greg, in terms of do we see fifty dollars silver? I would say at least in Jamie Diamond's world, there would be no reason to suspect such a silly thing. But well, let's let's talk about fifty dollars silver.
1: When have we seen fifty dollars silver in the past? Uh, we saw fifty dollars silver in the nineteen eighties. Hunt Brothers tried to corner the market, but that was due to massive inflationary pressures too. I mean, what did the uh, uh, inflation rates go up to? Uh, it was in the into the teens uh, in the nineteen eighties, and then we saw. The 2008 stimulus packages, which uh, really had a uh, um, an effect with respect to, uh, shall we say, um, spending habits in the United States, etc. And what happened was, in 2008, we saw a suppression of silver and gold, but in 2010, we saw it rise up to t- 2011 to $50 per ounce. And then of course, the stimulus packages that have been uh, put out with COVID, uh, they make the stimulus package after 2008 look like, uh, look like a little blip, shall we say. So what is going to be the pressure on silver and gold? I mean, some people have called for hundred plus silver. Um, is $50 possible? Yes, indeed, but I'm not gonna put a date on it.
0: So what, uh, but yes, indeed it is possible in terms of why it's possible, and I'll pull up these supply and demand numbers again. To me, the reason I always thought it was inevitable is because there's somewhere in there and it's kind of a murky gray area, but you have a lot of leverage. You have all those fundamental factors you discussed. And it always seemed to me that once the investment demand kicks up, that's when you really run into trouble because like, yeah, we see that industry's growing and you know, it's not going to happen overnight. But if we look at the, let's see if I can get my chart up here, are the Silver Institute numbers. And Greg, by all means, hey, do they know where every single ounce of silver in the world is? So if you have anything to add or uh, would suggest anything, we'd be wise to alter here but at least on what they're presenting here we see last year these were the projected numbers you had a 318 million ounce deficit and the main reason was because net investment in etp this is slv and your other trusts i mean this was you know ranging somewhere plus minus 100 then that popped up popped up to 350 by all the numbers i've seen i mean we may surpass that in the first quarter with the rate that people are buying metals so it's like seem like you can keep this thing together when there's no investment demand but there's a very small amount of investment demand and now to me it feels like we're people are buying more than is really there and now we're seeing a lot of quirky things pop up from the retailers and the dealers well there's a real short
1: Yeah, there's a real shortage on uh, the delivery of physical silver right now, uh, physical gold as well. There's uh, issues with that. I mean, there was huge demand there in the run up over the last uh, few months. It, that demand, I don't think it's really tapered off, but uh, it uh, certainly is still there. And they're still talking about uh, shortages of physical silver. And, um, you know, it, you can go down to your store um, and you can buy a silver coin if it's available but you're paying 30 40 percent over spot in order to buy that silver coin um, that wasn't always the case uh, but it is uh, today is that going to continue well supply demand I mean the Silver Institute you know um, you know they talk about uh, mine production um, as I said you know real silver mines are in decline and uh, easy silver like easy gold, like easy copper, is more difficult to find. So it's going to get more expensive to mine. And not only will it get more expensive to mine, but the price of silver is going to increase as is the price of gold. And that's my belief. I won't give you the exact date when that will happen. We're still struggling coming out of COVID, but there's going to be a major turnaround. The other big factor out there that uh, with respect to silver prices, gold prices, they're both measured in U.S. dollars. And um, the U.S. dollar is an important component on essentially um, the world uh, uh, financial reserve. Without the shall we say uh continued faith in the US dollar which uh has been a little shaky lately shall we say <laughs> then um it's generous uh, you,
0: greg that's quite generous and diplomatic
1: <laughs> <laughs> but without that continued faith down the road i mean look at bit- look at bitcoin you know and bitcoin generally rises with gold although we've seen a bit of a divergence lately but um, Essentially, why is Bitcoin taking off? Because people are losing confidence in uh, the U.S. dollar as a world reserve currency. Um, you know, so what is the uh, what happens when the U.S. dollar decreases? Well, gold prices go up, silver prices go up, and if you have a economy that's chugging away, then other commodity prices are going to increase as well and those commodity prices um you know like um uh you know we've joked a little bit about uh you know uh, goldman sachs and uh, but goldman sachs has predicted uh, the beginning of a 10 year plus bull market in commodities and that includes gold and silver so no matter what you think about uh, goldman um you know these statements are there and others we're, are making we're, we're the, big same. the...
0: <laughs> we're big fans on the we're big fans over here they have uh a commodity expert named jeff curry that provides some um, he does think the commodity bull market is kicking up and you know obviously chief of goldman is like called the maestro or something uh <laughs> but yes uh, it's not just i mean some people say well why do you just focus on silver i mean if they're going to print money wouldn't all these go up and yeah i'd agree i'd rather have i mean you could let me throw darts blindly at a commodity board, and I take my chances with that over treasuries. Well, Greg, you mentioned Bitcoin here. I have a question. Don't worry. I won't, uh, I won't make you comment too much on Bitcoin, or you can share any thoughts you'd like. Yet, here we see in 2016, the things 500, 400 bucks, and then today it's up to 56,000. So uh, <laughs> by my old, let's see if my mock... Uh, trader math is still in there somewhere that's about 120 bagger yep now we, we don't have to debate you know is bitcoin the solution or blockchain or any of that but just to the degree that can we agree that some people view it as something that can't be printed and that some of the appeal is towards that and i just think if bitcoin in the last five years has been 120 bagger and then silver's still at half of its not only 2011 high. Let's see where's Bitcoin in 2011? Does the chart even go that far back? Uh, I'm not in on this one, but I mean, <laughs> silver's at half of its 1980 high. And I would suggest that the people that really understand what the Fed is doing, and really like anyone that I've ever met who actually grasps even some portion of what's really going on in the federal reserve, how much money is being printed, how much, what it goes to. I mean, they go to gold, but those are the people, the people who really get it either. I'm completely wrong or the people I know they all favor silver for those exact reasons. So it's like the greatest inflationary environment in the history of the planet. Doesn't it? I mean, it, it seems like when silver goes, there's a, case to be made that what, what if it does something like bitcoin i or what I'll, I'll actually make this into a question why why would silver not eventually have to do maybe not as big as bitcoin but i just don't see how bitcoin does that silver is there
1: well, Bitcoin is a little bit of a unique uh, situation where there is a extremely limited supply. It's difficult to mine Bitcoin, okay? Uh, and getting more and more difficult. Now, sure, you know, they can half Bitcoin and uh, and uh, start the uh, process again. Uh, Silver being a physical commodity is directly tied into, uh, well, uh, unless you're uh, uh, one of the uh, conspirators who believes in the manipulation of the silver prices, but it's tied a lot to supply and demand. And uh, that supply is dictated by how much physical silver is in the ground and how easy and economically it can be extracted. Um, That's becoming more and more difficult. Uh, not only because, as I mentioned earlier, easy silver is more difficult to find, but where there is easy silver, those, some of those and a lot of those lie in jurisdictions that don't allow you to get in there and mine. It's either unsafe or the taxation regime or the government regime just doesn't allow you to be in there. And um, that seems to be a problem worldwide. There's only a few real jurisdictions that I like to work in, okay, around the world. And um, fortunately, Silverwind's properties are in two of those jurisdictions. So um, that's why we're uh, uh, focusing on what we're focusing on.
0: Yeah, and Greg, that's actually a perfect lead-in because as folks can see here, we're looking at USA and Mexico and can you give an overview for people, and and touch on how Silver One fits in this as well? But when they're thinking about the different jurisdictions, um, and partly I actually have a note here. I'd, I'd like if I could quickly read a bit about your background, and uh, we'll also I let folks know that you're kindly going to take some questions today too, because a lot of people getting into this have questions about what to look at with these projects. And that's something you're an expert in. And real quick here, Mr. Crow's key role in helping to bring about this highly successful development story attests to his ability not only to build companies, but to successfully navigate political and partnership issues and to strategically maneuver through cyclical variations in commodity markets. Certainly, as I've been learning more about mining, I understand. I mean, we see right now, First Majestic, they have an issue with taxes over the with Mexican government. You know, it's something that could have to be resolved one way or another. And that so I appreciate your background and expertise. And what could you say, starting with the Nevada and Mexico jurisdictions?
1: Well, first of all, uh, uh, one thing for uh, investors in our company or potential investors in our company to be aware of is we've actually sold off our Mexican assets, okay? Uh, We sold those off uh, a couple of months ago and um, I think we got a pretty good deal for it. Uh, We've got uh, some cash, uh, additional cash in the treasury and we've got a large share position in the company that took those uh, shares, uh, uh, those properties off of us. So we're really focusing on Nevada and Arizona, and uh, if you look at the Fraser Institute, which is one of the world's uh, leading, uh, shall we say, uh, uh, organizations with respect to um, you know uh, the statistics for mining around the world, Nevada and Arizona are essentially two of the top mining jurisdictions in the world essentially good taxation um, good permitting yes it takes time and you do have to follow the rules but at least there's the rule of law you can go to some other jurisdictions around the world and uh, the rule of law seems to be dictated by um, in some places in some instances the greed of the uh, uh, various uh, people that are in control and that's not always a good thing that's why I favor the jurisdictions like Nevada and Arizona. There are a few other jurisdictions around the world that I like. But in my previous uh, life, uh, shall we say, uh, uh, pre-Silver One, I was uh, involved heavily in a company. I was actually president and CEO um, of a company that was uh, working uh, alongside Ivanhoe Mines in Mongolia. And that was a real roller coaster with respect to dealing with the government and uh, uh, negotiating, shall we say, say, uh, the security of uh, uh, my company's um, assets in Mongolia. Uh, we were successful in doing that, but um, uh, it was a very steep learning curve, shall we say.
0: Yeah, although I think that's the fun part is that sometimes these things are a little challenging as we're going through them, but you know, then you look back years later and you have that experience to draw from which I think is quite important in the mining sector as well. And Greg, perhaps you could touch on the history of the flagship Candelaria project, actually an interesting background. Some of the previous partners, that's one of the things I always love hearing because it's like, all right, where'd this project come from? Because I don't know, let's say I was looking for a new project, you know, and I think, all right, what would, would somebody else overlook or what, You know, and it's interesting the ways these come about. So perhaps you can start there.
1: Sure. Well, Candelaria, you know, it has uh, quite a bit of uh, history uh, behind it. And um, I mean, uh, if you look at Nevada itself in particular, Nevada is known as the Silver State. And um, uh, the Silver State essentially started in the mid-1800s. And Nevada was actually brought into the State of the Union post the Civil War in order to help pay down the Civil War debt through the proceeds from all the silver mines. So Nevada is known as the Silver State. Candelaria itself was actually discovered in 1864, and that was a year before the end of the US Civil War. It started production and it produced for a number of years up until 1959 from near surface high grade silver veins. And it produced on average grade of 1,250 grams per ton silver. It's extremely high grade. It was one of the richest silver mines in the state of Nevada. Now, if you compare that to mines today, I mean, look at, you know, people get excited about MagSilver. MagSilver is a great company and it's got some great projects with great partners in Mexico, but their average grades are seven, 800 grams. If you look at uh, um, Exelon, uh, one of the highest grade producers currently in Mexico, they have grades up to a thousand grams per ton. Well, Candelaria kind of looks like they have those types of grades as well. Now, post the sixties, big companies came in, NERCO, Occidental, followed by Kinross, and they decided to put it into open pit reduction and I see, uh, production. And I see that you uh, put up a couple of uh, slides there of some of the big open pits. Well, there's two big open pits there and they produced up until 1997. That was Kinross, was the last producer. They shut down when silver prices collapsed well under $5 per ounce silver. We went down to about $2.50, I think it touched on, during that period. And don't forget, that was the time of the big run-up in dot-com companies. Everybody was diving into tech companies, okay? Well, that came down to a screaming halt in uh, 2001, and... Um, uh, but Candelaria had been shut down by Kinross in 97, 98. They turned off the taps on the big heap leech pads. They left behind a lot of silver. They sold it off to Silver Standard who looked at it in 2002 and they did some studies, but silver prices were still languishing under $5 per ounce. And they said, no, we're going to take our company in a different direction. And um, they outlined a big historical resource and they moved on. And I just happened to walk through Silver Standards' door at an opportune time. It was uh, late 2016, early 2017. They were completely rebranding their company. They were becoming focused on gold mining in Nevada and they actually changed their name to SSR Mining so they got rid of silver in their company's name and they started selling off a lot of their silver assets so Candelaria was there and I looked at it and uh, we came uh, we did a great deal on it and um, we've been working on uh, Candelaria for the last uh, three four years now.
0: Although Greg, to be completely accurate, as I hear it, you didn't quite walk in the door. I heard you were more rolling in the door, is that correct? Well, I'm not sure what you mean by rolling, but, uh, <laughs> I heard you were, you got a call while you were on your
1: bicycle, you were in retirement. Oh, no, no, Oh, no, that around. was, that, that was not from silver standard. That was, uh, getting into, uh, silver one. Yes, yeah. indeed. No, no, you're right. You're right. Um, when I retired from my last, uh, uh, uh stint with a company in Mo- uh, that was uh, operating in Mongolia and, um, 20, retired in 2015 and, uh, um, my wife gave me six months she said I would only last six months in retirement but to spite her I lasted eight months and um, I was out cycling around I decided to take up cycling that was my new uh, that was my new thing but uh, you can only cycle so far before you kind of get see the same thing over and over again I was cycling around Stanley Park and I got a phone call and um, I stopped to take the phone call and they said please come to a meeting and I said "Uh, sure I'll come to a meeting but when I said I'm on my, my bike right now they said well come right now you we were just downtown and uh, come to the meeting. So I went to the meeting and they must have liked my spandex because um, uh, they offered me a very good uh, opportunity to uh, start a new silver company and that's become silver one. So I'm back in the saddle.
0: Yeah. And, and perhaps you can talk about just what it's like. Uh, Cause I know in, especially here in the U S we're trying to think, all right, we're going to go try and go on wall street or do something, make a lot of money and then retire. It's like what are you gonna do like just sit there and stare at the wall after that and i always find it intriguing especially with the mining guys and it's similar to how i feel about doing a show i mean you know someone gave me a billion dollars today and still be interested in silver and yep. talking about it and i think that's similar where it's like it's funny that your wife didn't think you would last long but what is it that you know when you have the opportunity that what you've done in life that you could sit there and in, go sailing, but what is it that drew you back in, you know, about just the process, but also the particular project?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm a geologist by training. I have two degrees in geology. And, um, you know, I fell in love with geology in my early university days in my mid-20s. That was more than a couple of years ago. So um, but um yeah, I just fell in love with geology and uh I loved being out and looking at things. And then I got into the economic side of geology and I got on junior resource companies. I worked for several major companies as well in my past. And um I just really enjoyed. I like getting out. I Looking, looking at these projects, and um, you get excited. There's something about looking at minerals in the ground that gets you excited, be it gold, be it silver, be it copper, whatever it is. So it's kind of in your blood. And to sit down and suddenly to stop doing it, um, uh, you sort of say, well, geez, I kind of missed that uh, excitement and um, I get excited about uh, silver now I used to get excited about copper and gold Um, not that they're bad commodities but um, I'm just uh, very interested in silver these days
0: yeah and I I could imagine especially when you have your background and you see what's going on in the world and you see silver uh, I guess probably around somewhere between 15 20 bucks when you were riding your bike that day and it's like Gee, you know, it's a good time if I can find silver. Well, to the whole go con- do it.
1: yeah, no, the whole concept then was silver. I think was around twenty-two dollars. Okay, back in twenty mid late mid twenty sixteen, and. Um, you know, some people were projecting then it was going to go to uh, you know fifty, sixty dollars again. Uh, it didn't quite work out. Uh, you know, um, the policies changed in the U.S. and um, it was a real stimulus for the uh, 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 the Dow, etc., and the markets. And uh, it kind of took the uh, fizzle out of the gold and silver thing. But at the time, yeah, silver was looking really good, and the whole idea was let's start a new silver company. And uh, one of the people. People that's one of the major investors in my company is a fellow by the name of Keith Newmeyer, and uh, Keith Newmeyer, uh, you know, has a very successful silver company called First Majestic. Got three operating mines in Mexico. They're a two-plus billion-dollar market cap company, and um, he's looking pretty good this year with his uh, uh, with the silver prices where they're at. Uh, so, um, you know, um, Keith was one of the people who convinced me to. Uh, get back in the saddle and uh, I appreciate that
0: yeah well I'm certainly quite a fan of Keith myself he was in the book the big silver short that I did and uh, I think everyone in the silver space uh, I don't know is not everyone is grateful or owes him anything but I think a lot of us really appreciate what he has done and Greg we have some questions coming in I've got a couple more but let's get right to the crowd if that's okay with you Sure. Uh, great question here. We'll start with Mike Foley says, what supply chain shortages could impact mining production moving forward?
1: Well, you know, as I said, you know, there's very few uh, silver mines, pure silver mines in the world. So it's uh, really a function of um Uh, a byproduct of uh, other uh, mines in the world. And we see other mines in the world. um, Some of them run into difficulty. We see governments disrupting uh, supplies, removing licenses. Um, So until we see a resurgence of a lot of copper mining, and people are talking about that now, but uh, you don't see the new mines just coming in just yet. We see one of the biggest copper mine developments in the world which is the uh, uh, Rio Tinto BHP resolution mine in the state of Arizona you know it's had its ups and downs with respect to uh, uh, the uh, final permitting and the land swaps that are required and um, even though they were given uh, approvals under the previous uh, U.S. administration this administration has said well let's rethink this a little bit so you know when is that one going to be coming in Into production and um you know how much silver is in that one i'm not sure how much silver but uh the one that i was working on in mongolia or utogo had a significant silver component associated with it but you know that one's well into the mine life now and um, uh, that's not really new supply so what's the supply chain going to be like i mean maybe there'll be a new discovery, but if there isn't a new discovery, we've been in deficit now for the last about five years. And um, uh, we are projected to have increased demand. Don't forget silver is not just a precious metal, it's an industrial mineral and probably 65% of the use of silver is pure industrial and um, uh, electric vehicles solar panels you mentioned but for all of the uh, hollywood types out there don't forget the vanity factor mirrors are extremely important with respect to uh, the continued use of silver and whether you like it or not silverware is a major component and it's actually increasing quite a bit in the medical industry as well so the supply is increasing people are really starting to appreciate it Will the supply chain be there? Don't know um, unless there's a major new discovery um, and uh, we'll see how things go.
0: Yeah, and that's right, Greg. If you also want to get a silver pyramid like that, silver makes great jewelry too. <laughs> I just had my silver cufflinks delivered the other day. So we're upgrading the look here. And um, although something you touched on there that I've been thinking about recently and you'd be the perfect person to comment on to put in perspective where let's say, you know, retail buys an extra 100 million ounces or so of silver, even if you need an extra hundred, because so much is coming as a byproduct, where that's not reflected, that's not driven by underlying silver demand. If people need less copper, you're gonna get less silver. So even if the, let's say the price goes up to 30 or 40 bucks and some of the mining companies turn on a few new projects, In the grand scheme of things, we're not talking about, well, we produced a billion last year and we're going to produce one and a half billion this (laughs) year. It's not anywhere that big, even at a higher price. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Well, you look at some of the uh, potential new mines that might come into production. I mentioned Mag Silver, they have a very nice uh, mine. I'm not sure what exactly that would do to uh, increase, but it's certainly not gonna be 100 million ounces uh, per se. Uh, you know, and if you're increasing 100 million or 200 million ounces, as I mentioned in the next uh, uh, two or three years, um, just for electronic vehicles and for solar panels, um, where is that coming from? I don't see the mines there that are gonna produce it. You're gonna have to bring in either other historic mines like our or uh, some of the smaller mines in Mexico even though it's a big silver producer uh, the mines are small in Mexico you know you might get one that's 10 million ounces you might get one that's 20 million ounces or 30 million ounces and um, how much can you produce so there's a lot of exploration required. And there's a lot of work required in bringing those mines into production. And the average time it takes to bring a mine into production is somewhere between, oh, I'm going to be generous and say, you know, if you've got one that's a real slam dunk, you might get it in five to six years. But in reality, you're looking at 10. The one that I worked on in Mongolia, it was discovered in 1995 and didn't go into production until close to 2011. Um, so, um, you know, these things take time. A lot of work, a lot of permitting, a lot of testing, a lot of drilling, a lot of money.
0: Yeah. And um, how about I'll follow that up with an impossible question that probably has no answer since it's really, uh, (laughs) it reminds me of multivariate derivative concepts (laughs) I studied in my (laughs) option trading day with all these moving pieces. So Let's leave out even the time lag of how long it takes to turn these new projects on. And not that there's an exact answer, but maybe if a ballpark figure or even an explanation pops to mind, let's say that retail wants to buy an extra 200 million ounces of silver, or there's more industrial demand to get an extra, let's, let's say 200 million ounces. How high would the price have to be? Because you know, right. We, have some projects that would get turned on at $30 silver. Some to get turned on at $35. But I mean, to get 100 or 200 million ounces... Well, the, you... annual
1: pro- the annual production right now is somewhere between 750 and 800 million ounces. Okay, that's the mine production. There's some scrap, but the amount of scrap material is decreasing as well. So, um, um, to add 200 million ounces it'd be about another 25% increase that's on a worldwide basis where are you going to find that um let's say you did bring some mines in into production some of those mines might as I said have 10 or 20 or 30 million ounces you're not going to produce it all in that one year a lot of mines just produce somewhere between two and five million ounces a year you know um some of the bigger companies Hecla and uh, Coor of course produce a lot more but um to find another 200 million ounces. Well, you know, people might sell it out of their vaults. Uh, You know, some uh, countries are storing silver like they store gold, not to the same level perhaps. But um, where are you gonna find it? That'll only put pressure, upward pressure on the price. So where will that price go to? You tell me, I mean, supply demand. Suddenly you want an extra 200 million ounces of silver. I think that would put a lot of pressure on the upward momentum and price of silver.
0: Yeah. It's, it's almost, as you were explaining, I'm thinking it kind of almost feels like it would in a sense be impossible at the current price level without there being some mystery supply. And again, you know, the banks make everything as untransparent as possible. So there is some gray area, but, Either case, uh, we have a great question here on the Candelaria project from Susan Shelton. Uh, Ask about the silver content of the two leech pads at Candelaria and the two processes his company is considering to mine it. And Greg, if I could add one twist before you take that, can you explain to people who might not know what a leech pad is and as much as possible, simplify that answer so everyone can enjoy it?
1: Oh, God. Okay. I will try and do that. Uh, First of all, um, when you uh, process the silver, such as Kinross did at Candelaria, they essentially mine the material out of the open pit. They crush it down to about three quarters of an inch in size, and they put it in big piles. Those are called leach pads. Then they um, uh, essentially put up a sprinkler system and they put in chemicals to essentially extract the silver out of the leach pad and they collect that in pools and then they run it through various circuits to recover the silver at the end. Those leach pads, there's two big leach pads at Candelaria. Each one essentially contains material material that average grade is approximately 42 grams per ton silver. And I'll tell you exactly how much is in there. I've actually got it up here myself. Um, essentially the big leach pad at Candelaria has approximately 30 million ounces of silver. That's a fair amount of silver that's already been mined and is sitting on the surface. It averages, as I said, approximately 42 grams per ton silver. That's about an ounce and a half silver. Is that economic to recover? Well, that's the work that we're currently doing. We're doing metallurgical work right now to find the best way to recover the silver out of this leach pad. There's a second leach pad there that has another additional 15 million ounces of silver. So at the same grade. Now, if you wanna put that, I guess, in context, what does that 42 grams per tonne equate to? Well, if we look at an existing big operation in Nevada, there's one called Rochester Mine, which is run by a company called Coor, one of the big silver mining companies of the world. It's located in the Northern part of Nevada. And they're operating there and they are mining silver oxide ore out of open pits, they're putting it on leach pads and they're leaching it, and their average head grade is 15.15 15 grams per ton silver. We've got 42 grams per ton silver already mined. Can we make a go of it? Well, the only thing about ours versus theirs, they're essentially using fresh ore, whereas we are using ore that has already been partially leached. So we need to do our additional metallurgical studies. I said to you before, it takes a few years to bring a mine into production, do your studies and get a permitting. But on top of that, we're also building in-ground resources through our drill programs. We just completed a 15,000 meter reverse circulation and diamond drill program to build on in essence a historical resource that was uh, worked out by silver standard and the only reason we deem it to be historical is because um, it used to be 43101 compliant but it's too old but we're drilling and those historical resources came up to uh, amount to about 44 million ounces of silver at the measured and indicated level and an additional 35 million ounces of silver at the inferred. That's in ground. That's in addition to what's on the heaps. So there's big potential at area. It just takes time in order to, shall we say, evaluate it and do our testing so that we can find the best method, most economic method of extracting that silver. And that's what we're doing right now.
0: Well, I appreciate that. And Greg, something I know people always like to hear about. Uh, Eric Sprott is one of your investors. And actually, right around the time we were hanging out last year in Vancouver, it looks like. That was pretty close to brick. Eric Sprott increased his investment. So could you talk about what in particular drew his attention? What is it that he liked that what appealed to him on this deal?
1: Yeah, essentially, I first met uh, Eric Sprott in uh, mid-2019. So that was before I essentially met you at the uh, conference here in Vancouver. And uh, Eric, what he really liked about uh, silver one at the time, we really only had um, the Candelaria project and our Mexican silver projects. We had just acquired through staking, our projects in eastern Nevada but they're kind of early stage so that wasn't really what interested him. What interested him was the past mining at Candelaria, the size of the historic resource, and um, the potential to essentially bring this to uh, a more advanced development stage. That's what attracted him originally. Then in uh, when I met you in uh, January, he invested again in our company and then he invested again in mid 2020. We did a nine point five million Canadian financing. He put in an additional five million dollars into the company. So he's been a very, very um, faithful shareholder. Now, one thing that uh, uh, attracted him as well coming into the um, uh, company in July of 2020 is we had acquired a new project in Arizona called Silver Phoenix. And uh, I'm just gonna grab a piece of uh, that material
0: for you to look at. Give me two seconds. All right, I'll pull up the page on the website so we can get a snapshot while Greg brings us some silver. Okay, so essentially there aren't many,
1: shall we say, places around the world where you see silver material that kind of um, looks like this. Can you see that? Oh. Okay, that's what you're looking at. All that glitters is silver and um, that uh, essentially piece that we had analyzed off our project in Arizona came back we had to do an a special ore grade quality assay because regular assay it's too rich for it came back and it returned 459,000 grams per tonne silver or 14 and a half thousand ounces per tonne. Now This is an extremely unique situation. You don't see many places around the world. One place where you see values like this is a place called Cobalt, Ontario in northern Canada. And um, that was a old silver camp that produced silver and cobalt. But they had samples like that. And they produced over 70 million ounces of silver. Historically, Uh people are back there now, of course, looking for more. But this one here is essentially it's an old silver camp and they did talk about native silver, but nobody's found values like this. So we're going in looking for the source. These are actually big fragments sitting on the surface and there's not much outcrop. So we got to find the source of this mineralization. We've applied for a drill program and we hope to get in there in the next uh, few months and get the drills in there and see if we can find the source of that. We're also finding a lot more of this on surface as well as we speak. So we've got uh, a very interesting project in Arizona which will certainly uh, enhance our Candelaria project as well.
0: Yeah, and Greg, can you hold it up one more time? It looks quite beautiful. And how does a uh, there's, sword... there's a pic-
1: there's a picture on my website of it as well.
0: Wow, actually, I think I have that. I see it in the background on the website. How, how does one get? How do how do people get one of those? Or where do I go to get one of those? Is that we get Greg some nice dinners and Christmas cards, or come on down and uh, check out the land, or how do that, how do we get well, one?
1: Well, if you go and look at that um, uh, one photograph on my website, I don't know if you can pull it up or not. Let's see if you can
0: find it there.
1: I think it's slide 32.
0: Corporate presentation. Oh no,
1: okay, well, okay, these these nuggets here. Okay, go back to that one, first of all, that last photograph, if you can. This one? No. Yeah, now these vein fragments, the one in the middle weighs 417 pounds and we actually didn't do an assay on it because it's a collector's item you'd have to whack off a piece of it and we didn't want to destroy it that one there we did specific, specific gravity measurements it's estimated to contain over 70 percent silver that one there these are so angular so unabraded, that we think we're very close to the source and that's part of the area that we're gonna be drilling. But if you go down in the presentation and you find the photograph with this guy sitting in it, it's a little I'm bit further down the presentation. Keep going, keep going, way down, yeah. Oh, I'm not sure whether, uh, is it up
0: there? I'm not in the presentation. Oh, yet, I can oh go,
1: go into the presentation is it's it's on the home it's on the home page if you click on the home page and you go down scroll down
0: scroll down presentation presentation.
1: more right there
0: by the way with some of those big uh silver blocks greg i've been uh throwing it out on twitter you know like silver weight sets you know you get bench press that thing You you look like you've been lifting it a little bit, that that big rock. (laughs) That's
1: one of my passions as well, is just working out as well. So I do that. Go to the PD. Yeah, just scroll down. Keep scrolling down. You're doing fine. Keep going. Going all through Candelaria. Now we're into the Cherokee project in eastern Nevada. Keep going. Now we're hitting. Okay, go back up. I think I passed it. Was it It this one? Nope, one more. There you go. So the one on the left is this fragment here but you see the ones on the right actually took a bigger piece and sliced it up if you're really kind to me post-covid i might be able to get you a small slice of that
0: i'm I'll, I'll, I'll gonna i'm gonna call my friend gary and find out what greg likes and maybe we'll throw a surprise there for us another i mean they're just beautiful and
1: Yeah, they are. They're quite spectacular. And as I said, you don't see samples like this very often around the world. So, um, you know, there's a couple of uh, small, uh, and it doesn't take much silver to rack up the ounces. So for instance, okay, just as a theoretical, if we were to find this type of material, and we were to find as little as 10,000 tons, Now to put that into perspective for somebody, that would be a area that would be about 250 feet by 250 feet by about uh, half a foot to a foot wide. That's a very small area for a mine. That would contain more silver than the entire historical resources of 70 million ounces. Candelaria. so it's not going to take a lot you just got to find the source of these veins can we really and that could really rack up the silver ounces
0: well it certainly seems like you're in a good time at a good place we'll take a quick look what is happening on the silver chart today where it's just darn flat nothing's happening yeah. in
1: yeah, still hanging in, in that
0: twenty, still hanging
1: in that twenty-five dollar range, uh, which I like, and something to think about uh, for your investors. to Think about, you know, you know, prior to two thousand and eight, we kind of saw the silver prices kind of in the, in the single-digit numbers. Okay, after two thousand and eight, we saw them in the teens. Post COVID, we're now seeing them in the twenties. Are, is this the new base price for silver going forward?
0: I think Janet Yellen is pretty committed to making sure that it is, which is why I appreciate everything that you've shared with here with us here today, Greg. Uh, obviously, you have a lot of experience. You're one of the people we're counting on to bring great silver to the world and Perhaps before we wrap up, anything that we didn't touch on that people should know or any, uh, any other parting thoughts today?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, people should be aware that we do have a third project in Eastern Nevada called Cherokee. Uh, it's a very rich silver, copper and gold system that was mined a little bit back in the late 1800s in the thousands of grams per ton silver range it's another great project it's earlier exploration but um, we think there's a lot of potential there we actually got it through staking and uh, purchased the patented claims we have a hundred percent and we're going to be back there this year doing some more exploration on that one so another great opportunity as well we're really happy we're really happy with nevada and arizona i think they are indeed the best mining jurisdictions in the world
0: yeah. And actually one final one for me, uh, just if you could touch on the share structure real quick, because I know people always like hearing about that. And if you could just quick walk through there. Oh,
1: there you go there. Okay, so Eric Sprott's about, uh, you know, just 17%. You see the issued and outstanding there, just over 200 million, uh, fully diluted about 250. We've got about $12 million in our treasury still, uh, even though we've done a uh, $4 million uh, drill program at Uh, Candelaria over the past uh, several months those results by the way will be starting to come out we put out some initial results uh, about a month and a half ago the rest of the results are going to come out in the next few weeks we're just waiting for assays to come out from the labs they're a little slow right now Um, and then you'll see the other uh, big shareholders in the company as well and um, uh, we do trade Good volumes on both the exchanges. Um, I think uh, if we look at the volumes, I just got to check that here. Uh, like on the US exchange, we generally trade somewhere between 325,000 350 shares a day. Whereas on our Canadian exchange, we trade over 700,000 shares a day average. We have multiple uh, plus million share uh, day trades as well. So we're a fairly uh, fluid uh, uh, liquid stock, shall we say, for a junior company.
0: Yeah. And uh, Greg, perhaps can you just let folks know for any follow up questions if they want to get the detailed presentation or walk through any of this? What's the best way to contact and get? Yeah, well,
1: uh, I think of the last slide there, you'll see the investor relations um, and uh, best thing to do is to uh, email Gary. There he is there. Gary at Stratastar.com. Strata dash star.com. And um, I will make sure that uh, you get uh, uh, whatever it is that uh, you need, as long as it's uh, information that's in the public domain, it's yours to have. But go to our website, a lot of information on the website.
0: Well, I appreciate that. And that website is in the description field right there below. So you don't have to type it in, just go and click And I'd like to just to also extend a thank you to Gary Lindsay that I met. I guess that was the same time I met as you and both of you have been quite supportive of what we've been doing here. And I sure do appreciate that. Appreciate you uh, spending some time with us today. Great lesson. A lot of important topics we covered. I learned a bit and I'm guessing people did at home as well. So Greg, will look forward to following the success of the projects. And uh, I think it's an exciting time and congratulations on everything you've accomplished. And uh, I think this decision you made to come out of retirement one more time, it, at least one more time is going to be uh, paying off for you in the end. Well,
1: my wife has already asked me what I'm going to do post silver one. So, well, I guess we'll find out.
0: Okay. So maybe <laughs> she wants to do a couple
1: more. <laughs> I think she likes me out of the house. <laughs>
0: Well, I hear you, and I think we'll all benefit from your experience, especially in this world where it's hard to imagine where some of the silver is going to come from, but we'll look forward to checking in with you again soon, Greg.
1: Well, Chris, great talking to you, and uh, stay in touch.
0: we Will do, my friend. Okay, thank you. And we are clear.